0: Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Good morning.
1: Welcome to Making Action Happen. Um, As you can see, Sarah's not with us today, but... This is a new segment that I'd like to feature once a month about veterans. Um, with Action 22, we do a lot of veterans work and myself being a veteran and working in the field for almost 15 years, almost 20 years. Um, thought it'd be a good idea to bring some of the veterans from the Action 22 community in to share their story and talk about what they're doing, what they're working on, their struggles, and just how to be a better person. And hopefully somebody out there hears that that's in a similar spot. And they could take something from this. So with that, um, if you look, our studio is different. So this is an experiment. If uh, it works, it works. If not, I'll change it for the next one. But um, for years, uh, going back, working for congressmen, senators, and just in the community, um, I regularly attended what's called the Military Affairs and Veterans Affairs Committee that the Pueblo Chamber of Commerce puts on. And Ava and our DA, Jeff Chastner, they kind of started this thing. And I think it's been going for like 20, 30 years now. Okay. Um, good group of people. We sit around the table. I think most of them show up for the free donuts and coffee. Um, and, and it's their social hour for a lot of these guys, which right. is very important, especially coming out of COVID. So I proposed this idea. And one of the regulars over the years is my friend Chris Carter, and he's here in Pueblo and he has an interesting story and he has a veteran Marine Corps, right? Yes, sir. Got to say it. Uh-huh. There you go. I was Air Force. So I just say room service after it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever In the meeting, I'm always sitting by the Air Force uh, people. And they're like, rah. And I'm like, Air Force room service. <laughs> and then they give me a dirty look <laughs> more that's, so than anybody else. But that's funny. Uh, you, you know, you got to clown on each other a bit, and yeah. including ourselves. But Anyway, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know know you run um, Veterans Overcoming Obstacles and have a gym here in town. Yep. But let's start at the beginning. How did you get here? How did you find yourself to Pueblo? Um, You were in the Marine Corps. Tell us a little bit about that, too.
2: Yep. Um, So I'm originally from Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, Whenever I was in high school, um, got in a little trouble um, towards the end of high school, and I kind of had two options. I could either go to jail or go in the Marine Corps. And so I picked the, <laughs> the lesser of two evils, I think, and I uh, I went in the Marine Corps. Um, I remember right. I did have my uh, – I had, like, missed court for something, and uh, my uh, recruiter had to, like – there was, like, a warrant, and he had to go and, like, talk oh, to man. the ta- – And this was, like, back in the, like, early 90s or – no, like – mid nineties. Okay. And so like, they had to like squash the warrant and they were able to do that at that time. Yeah. And yeah. so I was like into some stuff. And then, uh, even that was even one of my requirements for like, if they were going to let me graduate high school, um, was I had to show my principal that I had signed my Marine, the Marine Corps contract. because so I wasn't going <laughs> to be allowed to graduate high school. I was going to go to jail in all kinds of trouble. Um, and so I ended up going into the Marine Corps. Um, I didn't always start in trouble, but yeah. you know, towards the Towards the middle of high school, I kind of got into stuff. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm from spring, so I went in the Marine Corps. Um, I was out in California for two and a half years and then mainland Japan for like a year and a half. Oh, wow. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, um, I went to Kyoto, um, actually not in the military. I went there okay. for a while. And I loved Japan, and that was one yes. thing in the Air Force. It's like, I think it was Osong. Oh, wait, that's Korea. Um, whatever the, the station is in the the Air Force, is like, I want to go there, I want to go there, mm-hmm. instead I get – put back here in Colorado Springs. Oh, okay. so yeah, I didn't travel far from home. Go yeah. It was, uh,
2: it was really cool over there. The, um, they, uh, they, they seem to like the, the Japanese people seem to really like Americans. Yeah. Um, especially where we were at in the Rapungi district. Um, we were in mainland Tokyo and so we, oh, wow. you know, we were out, you know, partying, having a good time. Yeah. All night. And yeah. So we had a whole lot of fun in Japan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I hear. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, I did go to Guam, which was really the closest I got to Japan, mm-hmm. and it was funny because Guam, the tours—it's a short tour. I think you only do like thirteen months there, okay? Um, because everybody gets in trouble in Guam. Yeah, I mean it's like—I joked it's like if you could have Vegas with no laws—that's Guam.
2: Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah,
1: and, and it's the the main tourist spot for Asia. Yeah. So from China, Japan, create all the Asian countries. That's it's where like they go. Vegas. Yeah. That's their party place. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, you hear Guam and you think a middle, a little Island with nothing yeah. on it, dude. It's like, they call it hotel road or hotel strip. Uh-huh. And it's literally like these buildings about three levels high. And it's generally a strip club on the bottom. Yes. A restaurant second. And Dang. then a shooting range on top of that. Dang. So these, you know, the Asian customers come over, they have their entertainment, yes. get something to eat. And then they go shoot, machine guns while they're like hammered drunk at three that in the morning is legit. yeah it, and it's it's kind of <laughs> funny too so if you're an american because there's a an air station and a naval base there mm-hmm. like it it's low cost for you because guam's really expensive i think they right. have the largest hard rock ca- cafe there oh really um yeah and it you'd get acts that would come in going to asia Uh or coming to America from Asia. So big ones would always play at the hard rock cafe, but that's cool. But you go to McDonald's and it's like $25 for a meal. I mean, this was like 1999 when I went, Holy crap. Um, but if you go onto these clubs, whichever, Mm -hmm. like they have arcades, like Mm -hmm. the Japanese arcades everywhere, you know, they charge you to get in. If you're an American, they just kind of wave you through. And if you're, if you look Asian, then they're like, you know, 50 bucks to get in. And, uh, one of the guys in my unit, um, he was Chinese. Mm-hmm. So he'd always go in with us. They'd always stop him and he'd have to be like, no, no, I'm American. This <laughs> shows. ID. Funny. So, oh my gosh. But so then, um, so I was, so I was, I was
2: in, I was in Japan. Okay. Um, it was at the end of my enlistment and my goal was to get out of the Marine Corps. I was, I was weighing two decisions. I was either going to get out of the Marine Corps and then go on to like play college soccer. Um, okay. or cause I, I trained a lot, I played a lot of soccer in the Marine Corps. Um, or I was going to stay in and be a drill instructor, so I was kind of weighing that decision. I was uh, super fit, super fast, like probably best, definitely best shape in my life. A lot small. I didn't lift as much as I do mm-hmm. now, but a lot. I was probably like shit, like 100, 155, fifty five, one hundred sixty pounds. Wow, um, so real small guy. Um, but I was playing soccer, and I was I was training to get out and play. Mm-hmm. Um, was 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 the goal. And so I was at Camp Fuji, and there was no soccer teams there. And so we didn't get to really play. So I was just training on my own. I'd get up, and I'd turn the lights on in the morning, go out to the field and and train and stuff. And then I worked at a gym there, and I was doing, like, like a gym attendant position. Mm -hmm. So cleaning and stuff and checking people in. That's kind of where I was, my my first gym job, I guess. But I had just juggled 2,000. With soccer, so when you're like kicking the ball and your knee, okay. Thought. So I'd hit like two thousand. I'd hit like like thirteen hundred before that. So it was about thirty minutes of non-stop juggling. Wow. So that had just happened, and then I had these. I I created its own league. So it was two two teams on base, and we just play each other every week. So like the game before I hurt myself, um, ball was passed through. I come in, and the goalie's coming out now this is this is these aren't soccer players, these were Marines, mm-hmm. and so this guy's kind of built like you he was a he was like a little hockey goalie, turned bodybuilder, right <laughs> so this guy is charging out. This is before I have a little bit of self preservation now, not too much, yeah, this yeah. is before I had any, and me and him, you know the balls passed through. I touch the ball right before he gets there. And then me and him just collide. Oh, give. Can I cuss a little bit or no? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. And we collide, and then I look up, and the ball's just, were like, rolling into the net. It was, like, best goal of my life. <laughs> so next week, same two teams. We play each other every week. Um, and uh, same thing, balls kind of pass through towards the end of the game. Goalie remembers what happens and uh, had a different angle. And I didn't have a shot on the ball, so I went to pass the ball off, and my leg was straight out. The goalie jumps and then lands on my tib Ah. and my fib and snaps my leg in half. And so I ended up breaking my tib, broken my fib, open compartment syndrome, rods, pins. Um, There was a really small Marine Corps base, um, Mm -hmm. so we didn't really have a good medical unit. So I had to, like, go, like, I think it was, like, two hours to to Yakuska Navy Base. Like, on a Friday night, and bones are just, like, rubbing each other. We're on back roads and just this awful, awful experience. So I ended up breaking my leg right before... Like when I was weighing that decision of staying in the Marine Corps or getting out and playing college Mm -hmm. soccer. So um, that made it. So I had to get out. I got out with a medical discharge under honorable conditions. Um, And then I still, I ended up, I played a season and a half up at Pikes Peak Community College because I started going to school there. Cool. Um, And I I lost a lot of speed and, you know, I lost some touch on the ball, which is fine. I could work through that. But we were playing indoor and I had a buddy just kick me um, yeah. square on that leg again. And I was like, and that was my last game. I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm done. So I ended up buying a Harley afterwards. So I had to give up my love of soccer. And, you know, now I, I still ride a Harley and stuff. And so I had to trade trade one passion for another. And so, but yeah, so that's that's kind of what, that's kind of, that was my decisions like into my career.
1: Okay. So. so currently um, you you just graduated not too long ago, right? With so, your masters,
0: was it? Yes.
2: So I got my I after I got out of the after I got out of the Marine Corps, I, I did a year and a half at Pikes Peak Community College mm-hmm. to kind of get started. And then I transferred to CSU Pueblo um and, and was going to school down there um or down here um, and I got my bachelor's in exercise science. Okay. And so that was two thousand five I graduated and then did a lot of things and then yeah, I did just finish my master's degree as a drug and alcohol addiction counselor. Okay. So
1: and I and that's that's a conversation we've been having a lot. Um, you know, with Action Twenty Two, we cover twenty two rural counties, so all of southern, southeastern Colorado, and from El Paso County. Um, I guess they're not really rural, but you know, out east, out south, and a little bit west to the top of the mountain. And um, for years, I had been working in um, opioid addiction, um, that type of thing, from a federal. Policy standpoint mm-hmm. out of DC, and around 2015, um, we saw the the beginning. We were kind of ahead of it; like I knew it was coming, and I was screaming in DC, and my boss was screaming about it about the the wave of opioid addiction mm-hmm. coming through. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I spent those five years just kind of doing everything I could to a get the word to DC, and that's what initially led to the legislation that came down. Um, through the bipartisan task force to combat opioid and heroin addiction. Um, I don't know why they throw heroin separate from opioids because it's, you know, the same, (laughs) same thing. Um, But, but we saw it and it was interesting how I saw it coming. Um, And I told the story up of voices on a a panel, but um, I would go on tour with punk bands, right? I I played in punk bands, which was cool. Yeah. It was weird that I'm working for at the time, one of the, most conservative Republicans in Congress. And then six right. weeks out of the year, I'd pack my stuff up and go on tour with either a punk or metal band that I was really? on, sometimes both. Yeah. What do you play? Um, keyboards, bass saying, um, Dang. could fake my way around a guitar a little bit, but mostly, okay. mostly keyboards because we can never find a, Bass player, yeah. so I'd always do the bass. I'd say this is the bass player, and have a keyboard here. Yeah, and a lot of the music we did had synthesizers, so my right hand would play the synthesizers, and this hand would play the bass part. Dang, um, yeah. Do you it, play it piano too? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I That's do. Cool. Um, I play piano. So, but what happened with the opioid stuff? So, I'd been touring since like two thousand and nine ish, two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. sometime around there, and you get this pattern Um, you, you have a route. So we do a full country tour. We'd either go, you know, up to Chicago and East or up to Chicago and West and then Mm -hmm. back around through Texas. And, uh, and you'd stay at the same places, play with the same bands, the same venues. Mm -hmm. And from 2014 to 2015, it was like night and day. Mm -hmm. So hitting all these spots and these people we knew, I mean, I played in punk bands and metal bands, so of course everybody's gonna like drink a lot and party and stuff. Right, but it went from yeah, let's go party and have fun to like everybody was on pills and heroin, mm-hmm. and like within a year. And yeah. I remember talking to my my bandmates, and I'm like, you know, what the hell's going on here? Like, right. it went from sure a punk rock house, you know, 20s, late 20s, early 30s to like fun grow up a little bit guys, but no big issue right. to like, this is like a heroin den now. Right. And I, I came back and we started to see the, the opioid epidemic start. And I was like, this is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this was in rural towns across the country. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to get in front of this and, you know, Denver, they saw it and they were doing what they could and Springs and Pueblo to a point, mm-hmm. but still, and even to this day, the attitude in the rural communities are like, we don't have this problem. Right. And it's everywhere. Right. But, those in charge um, they're like, we don't have this problem. And now they're finally like, we have a problem. And in the rural communities, they don't have the resources that Denver has or Pueblo or Springs, you know, and, and there's been this real big push on better ways to deal with this through stuff like you're doing Um, fitness, Mm -hmm. exercise, um, counseling, that sort of thing. So, to make a long story long <laughs> one of the the reasons that i wanted you to come on not not only because you're a veteran and i work with you but what are you seeing and what are you doing to help combat these issues in veterans that we see too many of our veterans you know get in trouble get in a bad way due to addiction just trouble in general
2: yeah um it's hard. And I always, you know, this may sound weird, but I always start with myself. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I have mm, like a 20-year addiction history, you know, in myself. And, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. And uh, now, let's see, next month on the 14th, I'll be nine years sober. Nice. And so, yeah. Um, so I always start with myself. Congratulations, and, by the way. Oh, so thank I, you I need to say that. Thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, congratulations. Seriously.
2: Thank you. Um, you know, because if you can't if you can't help yourself, um, it's really hard to help other people. Mm-hmm. And so I always start with myself, and then being a veteran, and then if I can, you know, do things myself, then you know, hopefully people can see me doing it, and I can be in kind of a, like a role model position, or even like a inspiration kind of position to where people see, you know, Oh, that, you know, that Chris Carter, like if that guy can be sober, I could be sober. Yeah. So I, I think it does start with you. Um, and you know, I really try to live, you know, by that of being a good example. And then, you know, I, I, I try to help, I try to help veterans where I can. Um, the idea we have a, we have a nonprofit, um, veterans group it's called veterans overcoming obstacles um and you know our, our mission is to help veterans battle ptsd drug and alcohol addiction and prevent suicide through health and fitness so it's like it's like the greatest uh freaking uh what is it called your um what is that statement mission statement oh mission so, so, yeah yeah you have that little great mission statement right um Battle PTSD. You know, mm-hmm. veterans, a lot of veterans have PTSD. I have PTSD, not from war, but from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, battle drug and alcohol addiction, trying to be sober. Um, you know, prevention of suicide. I have a lot of people I've known in my family and people I've been close to committing suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and how do you do it? You do it through health and fitness. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I realized when I was kind of in my, like, early in my recovery program um, is this is what I – did for myself. And so like the first two years is just real stressful. You're just coming out of a blur and you're trying to like live life kind of like, like normal, if you will, people, but you've never experienced it. So it's just really, really stressed out. Um, But then I started looking at like what really motivates me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just the, the daily act of training. So, you know, going to the gym and working out. And I think that it's great to go do that, but you know, what are you training for? You know, and so part of the thing with our our program is you you pick an event. So you know we have a event coming up that you're going to come out there for, which is going to yeah. be super legit. Um, <laughs> so it's you know silkies and singlets. Um, so you can either wear a you have to wear a singlet, really tight singlet. The tighter the better they say, Jeez. or really short silkies. Okay. Um, so as long as you're wearing one of those, then you're good to go. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to wear. It. You don't have to wear that. You're like thinking, you were like, trying to think of how to get like, out of. I it. Do I have
0: like?
1: I yeah. think I got a doctor's appointment that Saturday. No, 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 um, no, no, you can it. wear whatever it's right. it's
2: a, it's a fundraiser. Um, but you know, by having something to look forward to mm-hmm. gives a sense of purpose, you know? And so we yeah. sponsor veterans to do, and we, we sponsored you, you know, for the event, um, you know, and it, it gives them something to train for, the daily act of training. And then what are you training for? You're training for the event. Yeah. So we do these these lifting meets, um, but then we also do ruck challenges. Mm-hmm. We do Spartan races. We do Tough Motors. And so there's just always something you're training for. So you're never, like, going without a cause. And okay. so this is what, you know, I personally did for myself. And it's just it's a lot of stuff. But it also keeps me busy, which also keeps me out of trouble. So then I always figure, well, if it works for me, it might work for someone else. So then you get other veterans and we, you know, will sponsor veterans gym memberships if they need it. Or we sponsor veterans to do an event, which is just kind of cool to be like, you know, a sponsored athlete coming mm-hmm. out and doing an event. And, you know, we're not trying to break any world records or set, you know, any like, you know, staggering times. But we're just out there doing it. And then we are representing for veterans that, you know, um, that may know of us and that may hear us because they're like, Hey, if that Brian McCain's out there getting it, like maybe I can get it. And so that's really what we do because I, you know, and it, it, it's a lot of health and fitness stuff. It's really hard to get people sober is what I'm finding as an addiction counselor. Like I, I knew, you know, for, for, you know, shit, like 20 years, everyone I've ever hung around that's partied or to drugs that's, that was norm, yeah. And so to me, I've all I've only ever known that as a norm in the military culture. It's yeah. a norm: work hard, play hard. So I actually didn't think I was doing anything wrong, yeah. And it wasn't until I really realized it um, that it was an addiction, and. Um, it had taken over, you know, it was and I was still the one problem with it, too, is I'm pretty high functioning. So, like, mm-hmm. I could still go to college. I still held a job. I was still in the military. I could still do all these things and use. And then so I was able to kind of get away with it. Yeah. And it wasn't until I, you know, I, I came on this, I called a deep realization, um, you know, of like, you know, what would life be like not using Right, what would life be like not drinking, not smoking cigarettes, not you know any any of the other things? And I wanted to see what it would be like, and you know, but the thing is, is that it's a lifelong commitment. Mm -hmm. So like I I don't ever get to enjoy a beer again, or you know, do anything, or like I don't hang out you know in those places, like because I I can for a little bit, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. And so I don't I don't really enjoy it. And I think that's the problem with, I don't think it's just the veteran population, with the anyone population, yeah, is, is how do you maintain sobriety lifelong? How do you get to, how do you not ever drink again? And that's where it's really hard. And so, like, I don't think, like, not saying my level is, like, legit level, but, like, I don't think most people want to commit as far as I've gone um, because they don't want to give up, you know, the drinking, right? Mm-hmm. And and if and if if you're like okay well I don't drink that much and not everyone that drinks is an alcoholic right but if it if you <laughs> the best way i describe being an alcoholic or not if you say you're going to quit and you're like okay i'm going to you know i'm going to stop drinking for let's say 3 months mm-hmm. if you can't stop drinking for 3 months then there might be a problem yeah right? and it doesn't 3 months is just throwing it out there you're like i'm not going to drink the rest of the week and yeah. then you end up doing it so you know kind of going back to the i have adhd too, no no so it's like, I'm i'm all over the place no this, this okay. is good this okay. is good okay okay but you know it starts with myself and then i try to get other people involved in our community um and then you know if someone you know is wants to make that extra commitment of sobriety we're there um my buddy my buddy dave he does he does veterans overcoming obstacles with me he's mm-hmm. the um he's like he's my right hand man Um, and he does all of our obstacle course stuff and it wasn't until, you know, and I've always like, he's, you know, he's, he's drank a little bit. Well, no, he's, he's drank a lot. Um, (laughs) and I, I don't ever, I don't try to preach to people about not drinking. Um, the only person I worry about is myself and I try to keep this good. Um, but he's seen me over the years, like set a good example. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of looked at his life and he was looking at his, you know, great grandpa and grandpa and dad. And he's really, you know, he realized like, shit, I, we've all had this problem. Yeah. And he just, he just hit like three months of sobriety, which is amazing. Like that would be my goal is to be able to do that. Um, I'm kind of new into the addiction field. I just, you know, finished grad school. I'm I'm working as an addiction counselor. I'm working on my licensure and it's a whole field that I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to. And I think you know my buddy Dave. He was a um, kind of a byproduct of what we're trying to do. But I don't know how to like I don't know how to recreate that all the time. You mm-hmm. know, the, the best I can do to recreate that is um, establishing healthy habits. So like you know, getting fit, eating eating clean, getting sleep. Um, I do a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, a lot of mindfulness. I study stoicism. Um, all of these. If you if you incorporate all these positive things, there's not as much time for all the negative stuff. Yeah. Now, committing to complete sobriety <laughs> is like it's gangster. Like you got to yeah, go yeah. hard, and you got to not care about anything else. Like I, I work with a lot of I have a mentoring program too, and I work with a lot of of gangbangers and stuff. And I'm like, you know, if you want to change your life as as like down as you are about the gang. You got to be that down for sobriety. You got to be yeah. that down to change, and it's got to be the same kind of mentality. Like there is nothing anyone could do that would make me use. Yeah, I don't care what it is, um, and I have to stay by that, and I don't get to like second guess that. So, like, how do we establish that in other people? I'm I'm learning it. Um, I think a nice approach is to get them, you know, exercising and doing events, yeah. and then then you meet more people. But you know, my I I want you know. Eventually, I want this to be a movement, Yeah, you know, and I want to I want to write a theory on, you know, basically like a modern day warrior theory. And it's, you know, if you look at warrior civilizations, you know, from the dawn of time, you know, and you look at their virtues, you mm-hmm. know, and you look at like, you know, if you look at like the samurai, the Spartans, um, you know, knights, if you go into the future and you look at Jedi, right, mm-hmm. it's all the same kind of culture, And it's all that same mentality, but they're not using drugs. Yeah. They're, you know, being nice to people. They're training, they're eating healthy. And so I want to, I eventually develop this thing and people are like, wow, like, that's how I want to live. Yeah. I'm just, I'm kind of on the beginning of that path right there. Yeah. Does that make sense? Or does that all sound no, crazy? No, that, that
1: makes sense. But okay. you, got, <laughs> you, you have to cut the Vikings out. Cause I think they would just get hammered and go into battle. Like <laughs> that was their thing. Cause they're like, if I'm going to die, it's already written drink. That's <laughs> like, funny. You, you would. Yeah. They're uh, legit though too. I, yeah.
2: I did a DNA test and I found out cause I don't know where my background was from. Yeah. And it, I found out I'm like probably like, I think like 85, 90% Scottish. Oh, so you got, so I think I have some of that, that Nordic, um, in me. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, it was funny. Uh, my wife, she had a, oh, this goes on with my dad too. So like my dad, um, big dude, like I'm the smallest guy in my family. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and, um, he was a cop and like worked undercover for years and all Mm -hmm. this crazy stuff and, um, has that like. Street tough mentality, Mm -hmm. you know, fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And um when they he had to have like twenty knee surgeries Mm -hmm. um back from the eighties on up before they could perfect it. So it was like every two years he'd have to get his knee replaced or do something. Um but they when they put him under anesthesia, he'd wake up all the time Mm -hmm. and he'd be fighting because he has that like police mentality where he thinks he's blacked out and then he's like fighting thinking somebody hit him. But (laughs) they would have to like double triple dose them with anesthesia. Jeez. And we're sitting around and they're like, Do you have Irish in you? And we're like, Yeah, yeah we're like one hundred percent Irish. <laughs> and they're like, Oh yeah, like anesthesia and like drugs don't work on Irish people. Are you serious? Like, yeah, it's a it's a it's a genetic thing from that side of the world. So you have a- you have like heavy drinkers because it takes more for them to get drunk. And right. like um red hair is like a good sign of it. If you have red hair like you have to have more anesthesia. Really? I am, am by no means an expert on this whatsoever, yeah. but I, I've heard it from a few doctors and that's what they would, they would ask my dad, like, how do you do under anesthesia? And it had to like basically give him a piece of paper saying that he will wake up yeah, unless they give him enough to knock out an elephant basically. Wow. But, but they always said, oh, you got Irish blood and that, that was it. And I always wondered if that's why like the Irish drink so drink much, like yeah. you know, if yeah. that, that's part of it. But, yeah. um, so going through, addiction counseling and what you do. Um, I had this debate recently with someone that I said that it doesn't matter who you see, if they're doing good work, they're doing good work. But if it were me, I would prefer to see somebody that walked in those shoes, Mm -hmm. um, versus somebody that did not. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's accurate? Do you think it it works better for somebody that's already gone through this Mm -hmm. to be the one to lead somebody else through? Or does it matter that much?
2: I, from what I'm picking, because I'm learning the field,
1: mm-hmm.
2: from what I'm picking up on, um, a lot of people will say it does matter. Uh, the people I work with too are not, um, <laughs> not here like like soccer moms that are at home depressed. You know, yeah. Um, it. I work a lot in prisons and I work a lot in jails and I work with really high risk youth. Um, so like, I will have people ask me point blank if I'm like an alcoholic or an addict, mm-hmm. or if I like have a drug background, you know, and that's the first question they'll ask me. Yeah. You know, and then if you see me, you know, I'm like tatted up and bearded up and branded up and bearded up. And like, it's yeah. so like, like definitely with that crowd, you know, they, and even with the, the kids, like they, they do want to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if everyone has to see that. I, you know, I work with some professionals and they, I don't think they have the same addiction history. Mm-hmm. And like super smart, um, don't have the trauma. Um, but it's a little different. It's a little different mentality um, because, you know, they don't know what it's like to have experienced this drug, have yeah. been in this situation and all that. And I think it lets you connect with the person better. And then with the connection, I have found that they'll open up more. So if if, you know, let's say you've never, you know, let's say you're not a veteran, right? Yeah. And yeah. we're we're talking and, you know, you're trying to talk to me about like veteran things and you know, all this, and I'm like, okay, dude. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's yeah. it, it is different. Um, I don't think it has to be that way, but it does kind of it does kind of seem like that. Um, you know, if someone I I don't know. So my my aunt's so my I have a long history of trauma and addiction, and my aunt um, she ended up she wanted she ended up being a drug and alcohol addiction counselor because of addiction stuff with my mom, and she did not have that background. But she said that because she lived with someone that was an addict, that she was able to experience she, yeah. it through that, and she said that a lot of her clients, you know, they would ask her that too. And she's like, no, I didn't, but my sister, you know, was, and I lived with someone that yeah. was like that. And, you know, you you want to help, she, you know, she wanted to help her. And yeah. so, like, when people are using like that, you know, it's, you can want, you know, to help and change them, but not. Yeah. And so I think that if you, if you come from that background, and it's a background of, you know, having experienced, like, the pain and the loss and the yeah. heartache and all that stuff. Um, I think then you can connect, but there's gotta be some kind of a connection because people, I think that people, when they're, they're using, they're in a bad place. Yeah. And you gotta be able to connect with them on that level. If you're just like happy, go lucky and all like (laughs) smiles and fucking sunshines and fucking rainbows. Like it's going to be real hard to like, even I have, I have trouble. Like I still like, I'm sober and I feel like I, and I do my best, but I have a hard time. I can't even connect with people like that sober. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, and they may have the, that just may be the way they are and they have the best intentions. But like, I really connect with people. Like, it's almost like, um, I think they have a lot of studies on like vibration and stuff and energy. And if you kind of match energies. And so you got to be able to like be on the same wavelength with someone and then maybe, you know, they'll able to do it. But I think it, I think it helps to have that background. And one thing i found is I don't, I don't judge. You know, because they can tell me some like jacked up stuff, but I I know of all my jacked up stuff. Now yeah. one thing I'm learning as the like counsel and counselor and counselee, like you do sit in a different role. And so like when you're giving advice, this is just something I'm learning like recently. Yeah. Like we're not we're not necessarily peers, right? Like you and I are peers, right? But when you're in the addiction counselor, you know, and, and then like, the, the counselee, you know, it's not a peer on peer, it's not a sponsorship. But, you know, when they tell me something I can relate to and I can think of, like, things that I've done that I may not have ever shared, right? And so I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to judge the situation, and, I, and you can understand what it's like.
1: Yeah, it kind of puts a subconscious block or stops that subconscious of judgment because I think the biggest fear of somebody seeking help is being judged. Right. And even going back to the, you know, the, the working out, the fitness, the – tough Munner, the yep. weightlifting thing Yep. um silkies and singlets silkies and singlets I will volume wear six <laughs> I'll, I'll see if, I'll borrow you a should, singlet from my wife <laughs> you should
2: you should wear some silkies
1: I think I might have some let me look it. yeah I'll, I'll try to find some I'll
2: wear some if you wear some
1: I'll, I'll look I'll okay. let you know on that okay. <laughs> um send me a picture but uh <laughs> prove that you got them <laughs> yeah. uh, no I I was I was in um Alamosa or maybe it was antonito somewhere down there And, um, these group of people were having problems with the VA, um, big surprise, but, um, it it was fixable. And also the individuals having the problems weren't the most forthcoming Mm -hmm. on stuff. Mm -hmm. So I go and meet them at their trailer in the middle of nowhere of a field. And I'm like, Oh great. You know, this is going to be, you're going to be dead bad. Um, but I I knew them and they respected me and they really needed help and stuff. And I go in there and of course it's like, you know, five people like trash, no water, nothing. Um, obviously pills, heroin, all the fun stuff Mm -hmm. and weed and everything else, booze everywhere. And I was just sitting there and I, I spent the afternoon with them and I'm like, well and they wanted help. This was the thing is they like actually were, they were seeking a group of help. Veterans? Uh two of them were veterans, three of them were not. Okay. But they were seeking help and there was just no help and they were trying to get help through the VA and it's just too remote and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, couldn't get their um, was it Suboxone? Um, they would have to drive like seventy two miles to get their daily dose and they don't even have a driver's license kind of right. situation. And and we kind of got into, it and I'm like, well, why, why are you stuck in this situation? I want to understand this, like, not judging nothing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what else is there to do? Like, we have no goals, we have no, mm-hmm. we have nothing, mm-hmm. you know, um, no jobs. We have nothing we're working towards. So right. why not do this? Right. And I, I thought about that, and I think that's a a good, a good thing that you're doing in that it does set goals for people that may not have goals. If you're training for this event, if you're, you know, I'm going to get stronger, I'm going to go work out, I'm going to do this, whatever. And, and my wife too, she's kind of the same way. It's like, you know, she is seven days a week yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, she's been doing the, uh, I call it cereal bowls, but the hippie, hippie cereal bowls is what I call it, or they do the sound bowls. (laughs) (laughs) Like like you go into cereal bowls tonight. She's like, you're so mean, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, but no, but it, it works. and, you know, we, we have four kids and Mm -hmm. most of them are teenagers. So it's a very stressful house at times. Yes, And, um, that is her goal during the week. It's like, that's how she's getting through the stressful times. Is like, I have my uh, sound bowls tomorrow. I have my yoga in the morning, you know, that stuff. And just her dedicating the past few years to that and Mm -hmm. a regimen of it, like just has improved her life so much. Right. You know, it's, not the end of the world, and she has something to go for. Right. Not saying it was bad to begin with, but you right. know, it, it just for her mental health, this is like right. the greatest thing she's doing.
2: Well, one, one thing I have found this is this may sound terrible, but um, like I even from the Marine Corps, I never lost my Marine Corps mentality. Mm. Um, not that I'm completely brainwashed, but once, once a believe, Marine, always a Marine, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, <raw. laughs> um, but but I believe in daily training. I believe in being hard. You know, I listen to David Goggins. I listen oh, to Jocko Willink. <laughs> yeah, you know, Mark Divine. Like I listen to a lot of like Seals and stuff. Yeah. and you know, um, I think that veterans after the military, they you know, this is gonna might not sound very good, but they don't, they don't stay hard. Yeah, and you know, and I I think about you know when when you're in the military and you're training, and even if you know. And if there's some partying involved, like you feel good about yourself. You remember when you used to, you know, bench this much or run this much or you could do that many pull-ups. And when they get out, that mentality goes. And that fighting mentality and that warrior mentality goes. And that's one thing we really try to do is, like, build that. And that's the thing with this warrior theory I want to develop is, like, why would you not want to train like a warrior, you know? And and even if you are anywhere, you know, even if you're in – prison you're in jail or you're in some rural thing you know can you work out yeah Yeah. can can you run can you can and i i do a lot of calisthenics can you do calisthenics you don't need anything for calisthenics body weight yeah you know and then that can get you going because i think if i were in anywhere i've been in any of these situations even when i like broke my leg i was hobbling to the gym on crutches you know and i have never stopped training and i i think that that's 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 where it goes wrong is people lose that, um, and that's got to be redeveloped. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, we're coming up on the end of our time, so where can – quick. I I know. It goes faster. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where can people find out more about Veterans Overcoming Obstacles, some of the events you're doing, uh, webpage, Facebook? Yep. Let them know where it's at. Okay,
2: cool. So always, like, the best way for me is, um, you know, if – if you reach out to me, my number is 719-468-0694. Um, text is usually the easiest. Um, or uh, my email is C um, so Carter Devil Dog. so C C A R T E R Devil d-o-double-g, like Snoop at gmail.com. Um, and then the website is Veterans Overcoming Obstacles, V O shit vo2.org yeah i think it's vo2.org okay i, <laughs> I think it's better I'll, I'll it's find, changed it. over the years yeah
1: no i'll put it in the okay so veterans
2: overcoming obstacles vo2.org um and then there's also uh devil dog strength conditioning if you if you google veterans overcoming obstacles it's going to come gonna up come. or devil dog yes and then our address Route in Pueblo west um it's 275 east industrial drive okay well
1: Thank you for coming on the show. I know it's uh, stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, Not not
2: too bad. Okay. And then, um, and we, you know, we I think we talked about some philosophy, you know, stuff and some training stuff. But um, I would, you know, getting into deeper and any of the trauma or any of the other stuff, I'd I'd love to come back and and talk to you again and maybe do like a little part two to this. Yeah,
1: we can do that. So. Um, real fast. I got to do our disclaimer, the views and opinions on this podcast do not necessarily reflect, reflect the views and opinions of the action 22 board membership. Um, and stay tuned. I have, after this goes up, um, our next guest is going to be a cartel expert. So we're going to break that into parts. So look for that next week and we'll talk to you later.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Xcel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 Southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, healthcare, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, You can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org.